Bang! It's the Totally Football Show. Today, City look rootin' tootin', practicing their shootin'. United visit Chris Hooten, who probably puts the bootin'. Proving having class is one thing, being schooled is another. It's week two of the Premier League as we round up all the big stories at home and across the continent in the Totally Football Show. And your Totally Football Show today features Carl Anker. Excelsior. Hello, everyone. Hi from everyone to you, Carl. Michael Cox is here. Good morning, James. Good morning to you, Michael. And Sasha Gurionov. Good morning, James. Did you bring your carpet, Sasha Gurionov? <laughs> and I just left it on the wall at home this time. Right. Do explain to everyone what we're talking about. Uh, Rostov uh, playing against the NEC uh, yesterday at home. 1-0. Lovely goal. The opener. Stadium goes mad. And there is a man in the crowd waving a properly massive carpet. Hmm. No one yet has an explanation for this, but it has become a bit of a meme in Russia. Oh, that's Everyone's nice. all over it. Oh, lots of things I want to ask you about, particularly about uh, Kyrgyzstan. Oh, it's, I haven't been, but I hear it's a lovely place. Right, well, we'll be discussing that later. And German Cup action, Michael. Yep, looking forward because to Because you demanded it. Carl, I know you want to talk about Cardiff-Newcastle. Yes, yes, I do. All right. I very much want to talk about that game. If of you'll football. permit, though, let's start with the two Manchester sides. City, you recall, played the Terriers. United played terribly. It's a nice <laughs> symmetry there. Sunday at the at the Amex uh, against the Brighton team that had been widely tipped, largely by us, for a lot of trouble this year. They did United three two. Chris Hooten, who Michael, I think you were expressing some concern about prior to the season. Uh, that wasn't me, but... Uh, okay. Did I, you share that concern? I vaguely agreed with it, if that's right. Fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> how did it... What did he do Sunday? How did he How did he turn it around from the Watford defeat? I mean, to be honest, I didn't think Brighton had to do anything special, to be honest. I think sometimes Brighton do play very good football. They're good on the counter-attack, but really United just self-destructed. You know, United actually started the game reasonably well. I think Lukaku had a chance 15 minutes in and everything looked to be going swimmingly, but as every time that Bailey and uh, Lindelof were exposed, especially by who had a really dreadful game. I mean, everything he did was wrong. Bad tackles, silly fouls, trying to get the ball where he couldn't win it, shooting from 40 yards. It was a shambles, really. And I thought that panic just spread to the rest of the team. Right. It was interesting to see afterwards Pogba saying that uh, you know United didn't have the right attitude and he'd count himself as one of those players because that's quite an unusual admission yeah. for a player to say they personally had the wrong attitude for a game. Carl, you're a, I think I'm right in saying, a Man United fan. As you can tell by my accent, I very much support Manchester United. This performance has been described as their worst since Sir Alex Ferguson left, which is a big shout. Would you, would you go that far? It's up there with the Moyes debacle, the Moyes year, the Anna... Anus Horribles, is that how you say it? My language yeah, is very yeah, no. It was, it was up there with that. It's, it's the first time Manchester United conceded three goals in the first half since 2015, uh-huh. which I think is on the Van Gaal. Um, Juan Mata and Ashley Young. So you're playing a centre midfield fielder, a slight, not particularly mobile centre midfielder on the right wing. You're playing a former right wing uh, who is now 30 plus as a right back. Brian just feasted on it. Absolutely feasted down that right flank. Eric Bai didn't know what he was doing. So, didn't know whether the hole will give. Didn't do it at the right time. It's awful. And nicely done. Uh, another 30-something, uh, of course, Glenn Murray kicking things off for the Seagulls with that delightful flick. Uh, uh, for me, uh, what 
Murray did there was basically he ghosted in. 34-year-old Olaf Glenn Murray ghosted in past Man United defence. I think that's fairly damning on what United were doing at the back. And I think Jose Mourinho did have a point after the game saying they, they made mistakes because all three goals they conceded were just terrible cases of defending. They weren't really exposed, but individually, players switched off, made the wrong decisions. I mean, the bye penalty that he gave away was terrible, but also the defending on the corner for the second goal. Um, they... The ball actually does come out and Brighton have another chance to put it back in and do it so calmly and United players don't really react to mm. all of that. So um, I, I think for me, the fact that first goal, Glenn Murray did what he did, just exposed just how poor this United team are at the back are doing basics now. Right. Well, Daniel's story last week on this show was marvelling the fact that even though they won, Man United's performance against Leicester had seen their odds for the title doubling. <laughs> they basically <laughs> almost doubled again naturally with this... This defeat, 25 to 1, when the fun stops, stop. I'm wondering whether that's a phrase, you know, that Ed Woodward's thinking to himself. What do you think, Carl, as a United fan? Are we, was this just an embarrassing defeat? Are we moving towards something? Are we, is the whole kind of third season Mourinho syndrome, I don't want to be overdramatic, but is it kind of escalating, oh, accelerating? It's kind of, it, dread it, run from it, destiny still arrives. It's en route. He's going to buzz cut himself. Right. Very, very soon. How long? How long? Before Christmas, he'll have the buzz cut. So you're saying Mugon... Oh, sorry, the buzz cut. The buzz cut. You meant metaphorically. The buzz cut the is, is, the, is the terrifying moment. When Mourinho turns up and he's cut his own hair and it's in a buzz cut, that's when you know okay. the implosion is on. <laughs> Ideally with a bandana and stripped to the waist. No? Yeah. Yeah. The, Rambo The style. key thing about Mourinho's time at Manchester United, the most succinct way I can describe it, is that he's been living in a hotel for two years. Yeah. And then when they said, why are you living in a hotel? He goes, I don't like cleaning up after myself. Well, That's all you need to know about Mourinho's management right. technique and what he thinks of Manchester United. I don't like cleaning up after myself. That is it. Do you like cleaning up after yourself? No, I can't stand it. There you go. <laughs> don't make me a football manager. <laughs> yeah. OK. What do you think, Michael? There are a lot of people pointing at the performance against Brighton and saying, in tactical terms, this is an illustration of how irrelevant Mourinho is now as a manager. Is that fair? And what do they mean by it for people like me? I don't know what they mean by it. You'd have to ask them. But, but, but I think there's a sense that uh, the better teams in the in the Premier League are more proactive. They win the ball higher. They play possession football. They take the game to the opposition. I'm not sure this was particularly uh, a good piece of evidence to suggest that he's behind the times. I thought the strange thing from his perspective was uh, the substitutions at half time. I thought Mata had looked quite bright on the right flank, uh-huh. and uh, Andreas Pereira, who I haven't seen that much of, was really bright in in deep central midfield. And to take those two players off, I just thought was. Very Mourinho to go for the young kid and the the technical talent and bring on, you know, Rora players. Obviously, Fellaini came on later. It just seemed quite simple. Carl? I think when a set of United fans say Mourinho is irrelevant, I think he's he's not in the top 0.001% of football managers anymore. Mm -hmm. I think if you're... His bread and butter was, I make my teams very hard to beat. So we have a very, very strong back four from very skilled six-foot bruisers in centre midfield. And then I have a sledgehammer up top as a number nine. So it used to be Drogba, used to be Ibrahimovic, sometimes it was Samueto. Now it's meant to be Lukaku. Right? That's, that's how he plays franchise football. Mm. He opens up his Starbucks style at all these fo- different football clubs and he gentrifies your club. That's how Mourinho works. It's not working anymore. That style of football is no longer in vogue and it, it can be exploited. If it's you're, a bitter brew it is. that he's serving. If you're getting done on a near post mm. attack by a 34-year-old striker and you're bread and butter is I organise a central defence. Right. Something's gone wrong. Can Mourinho point to the lack of activity 
in the transfer window and, and have a valid excuse there. But I think he doesn't really get the best out of his existing players. And mm. you can't really, you know, just because you haven't signed two new centre-backs, you can't stop coaching the current ones. And also, one person we haven't mentioned today, Martial. Martial was upset by the Sanchez signing because it knocked him out of his usual position. And he's sulked ever since. Did he do much yesterday? Uh, in the 60 minutes where he was on the pitch, he did not find Lukaku with one pass. I'm a card-carrying member of Martial FC. Right. Please, boy, please give me something. <laughs> mm. James Checkley asking us, after another poor United display, who do the pods see as a Moo replacement? He hasn't had his haircut yet, but we're in that, that territory, Sasha. No referee for him to, to lean on and help him clean up in his hotel room or, or whatever re he does. Sasha, where do you think we are? Well, he's beginning to be rude to people uh, quite openly. Uh, after the game yesterday, it, uh, I think it was a reporter from BN Sport uh, asked him about the chemistry between mm. the players on the pitch. And he said, you must be fantastic at your job to have the ability to, to from the stands, to speak about chemistry between players. Mm. And yeah. But doesn't Guardiola say that kind of stuff as well? I don't think it's openly as angry and as a get away from me. Right. Mourinho made some very pointed comments about how he doesn't want to talk about the errors. So uh, the, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, when we play well, I yeah. will say this player is playing well and plays well. But previously, you've been very critical of me when I'm critical of my players. So I'm not going to be critical of anyone right now. It's a very interesting war of not words between him and Paul Pogba and Ed Woodward right now. Right. So every, all three of them are basically giving words to the effect of, if I say what I want to say, mm. I'm going to get in trouble. So I'm not going to say anything. It's passive-aggressive. Oh, yes. And I adore it. Michael, do you feel more confident about Brighton's long-term uh, prospects this season in the, in the Premier League after this performance? Well, they've got three points I didn't expect them to get. Mm. So, yes. I think they're quite suited to playing against good teams, actually. They're very solid. They're very uh, good defensively. And they're occasionally good on the counter-attack. If they're at home to a side who plays like Brighton does, I'm not sure they're as effective. Um, but they're a, they're a great story. It's great to have them in the Premier League after... 20 years of not having a ground. I know it's been repeated, but for them to beat Manchester United, I always think there must be some kids at school, you know, his classmates are all Manchester United fans back in the day and he supported lowly Brighton and now he gets to have revenge over them twice in one year, which is quite incredible. Brilliant. I actually, I wandered past uh, Withdean Stadium over the summer. Withdean Stadium? And like, just walking around it uh, and where it is and I just couldn't believe that the team that played here is now in the Premier League. I think think it's brilliant. Um, And uh, it, it is, I mean, I was just, I think, leaving school when they nearly went down and Goldstone, they were being chucked out of it. So uh, it's it's sort of the, those teenage memories you do actually remember quite well. And you hold them too, you know, when you're well into football and this stuff is happening, it's completely unfair. And so to see them in the Premier League now, playing in this lovely new stadium, beating Manchester United, I agree, it's brilliant. Just one last point on, on United. They've often played badly over the last couple of years and should have conceded lots of goals and haven't done so because David De Gea has been brilliant. Whereas... You look at him recently, he's letting in a lot of shots, isn't he? And it does make a big difference. It's a basic thing. Shots on target, 10 conceded. That's not Zero great. In, 2000, in 2018. He wow. is, is that including the World Cup? That's the World that Cup. is including the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. He is regressing. Right. When you're losing to hair, everything else starts looking worse. Uh, don't need to tell Pep Guardiola that, of course. Mm. <laughs> the bald. <laughs> the baldy. Uh, still, he had a pretty successful Sunday. His side putting six goals past hapless Huddersfield. We'll talk about that after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Think you had a bad Sunday? Who had a worse Sunday, Sasha? Ben Hamer. That's so true. And probably a whole load of people in the German Cup. But we'll talk about that 
Late. Almost conceded as many as those German people in the German Cup. Yeah. What was the biggest scoreline there? Uh, 11-1. 11-1. Mönchengladbach won at an amateur team from Bremen, whose captain then got man of the match. Nice. Oh, oh that's mm-hmm. sweet. But this could have been 11-1, couldn't it? Against the Huddersfield side, as we mentioned on Thursday, had not conceded in their four previous visits to Man City. I'm, not, I'm still not quite sure how that, that worked. Is it fair to say that this City side is actually better than last year's? Well, I think they're third year into the Guardiola project, so by definition, in my head, they should be. Right, um, okay. I mean, even though after the Arsenal game, he said they only had you know a couple of weeks over the summer with all those players coming back to train. But in this game, compared to the Arsenal game, they changed formation. Of course, I mean, arguably it made sense because they didn't need, didn't need a fourth defender uh, against Huddersfield uh, at home. So they pushed Mendy up. Uh, the movement was excellent. Um, and you really, when the opposition keeper starts... You know, so uneasily. I think in the third minute there was a messy corner, there was a hurried clearance, and I think from that point onwards, the Huddersfield defence really wasn't sure what it was doing. And against Man City, that's that's basically terminal. Um, and then you're also faced uh, with clearances from Edison. I mean, that goal kick. I mean, how do you defend it? Because you cannot be offside of a goal kick. So technically, Aguero can just run around, run around somewhere near the penalty box, and probably Edison find it, will find him with the pass. So I saw Schindler got a bit of criticism for it, but I think it's very hard to defend. I think Hamer's starting position is correct. He's on the edge of his own box where he should be, but it's a ball hit with so low trajectory. Mm. It's you know he doesn't really he can't come for it. I don't think. But in that case, I think Hamer should drop back and just let the defender deal with it. He gets caught in no man's land, and I think then it plays on his mind. And then after that, uh, the other two goals. So basically, there's a basic mistake for, for the 2-0 because Hamer is a, uh, probably a yard too far to his left. Um, I think this is some, this is actually quite a basic goalkeeping mistake where you should be where the ball is, middle of the goal, you draw a line, probably mm. a left foot. Sasha's a goalkeeper, by the way, so he can <laughs> say this. And so he does actually better in the second half in the 72nd minute on the other post where he saves from Aguero because his positioning is correct then. And then, of course, for the 3-0, in you know, a ball coming in. And again, looking at his technique, I'm not sure how he thinks he can catch it because he's... His hands are in front of his knees. The ball is likely to bounce off there. So then there you go, 3-0 down after your goalkeeper has a shocker. And after that, it's only damage limitation. And then up steps David Silva and takes yeah. a free kick. That's absolutely unsavable. Yeah. So, do you, which free kick do you prefer, that one or, or Kieran Trippier? Probably Trippier's, actually. Yeah. I th- I think that was, You're joking. I think Trippier, Trippier's was further in the corner, no? Trippier, <laughs> no, Trippier's was just like a driven... Uh, Silva's was beautifully placed. I thought Trippier's was the, the least... Spectacular free kick you'll ever see. I thought really, was, yeah, really? goals like that are so overrated. Honestly, <sighs> you should be hitting the target pretty much every time with that. So okay, shot. how was Kieran Trippier's free kick? Well, it was further out, mm. and it was just driven over the wall. Where Silvers was no, he he got fantastic dip. He got, yeah, got yeah, he got he got dip. I, I, I think I love the fact it was hit hard and then went down. Mm. I think for me that's like oh, it got I think everything it's the right. perfect range for a free kick like that. The silvers okay. was delicate into the top corner. Carl, do you have a view on this important issue? I always prefer a goal struck with venom okay. than a deft one, so Trippier gets my vote. Trippier gets your vote. Mendy's role in this game and burgeoning relationship mm. with Aguero, it, does that mean we're not going to see much of Leroy Sané this year? This is a scoops tactical question. Can they play together down that left side or is there only room for one? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we are going to see a different system this season, I mean, it's worth remembering last year, Guardiola started off trying to play the 3-5-2 with Mendy on the left, which didn't particularly work. And then Mendy got injured, so they didn't have a player who could do that. Hmm. I do think we're going to see a shift from playing two really high wingers to playing more overlapping wing backs. Obviously, Walker was out in this game, so they used Bernardo Silva there, which was a strange one, but he did very well. So, yeah, it's going to be a different system. And Mendy's the, the key difference. I mean, Mendy's a really, really good player. It's not just the typical 
overlapping energy of a, a left back. He's a brilliant pass with the ball. He's an excellent crosser. The ball into Aguero was just a wonderful cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and just if we could go back to the um, the first Aguero goal, I thought I think that's a really interesting development. The, the kind of long kick into space because I think we've seen some very distinct kind of tactical areas in the Premier League recently. We had maybe seven or eight years ago it was all about possession football. Then we had lots of teams who were very good at pressing and teams were frightened to play into the press. Now I think teams are actually inviting the press. So City want to be pressed in goal kicks because then they can launch it long. Sarri at Napoli and presumably under Chelsea, they played almost tempting the opposition up so they could then cut through the lines quickly. Arsenal are playing out not just because they want the ball at the back, but because they want the opposition to come into them and then they can use uh, pace in behind. So it's an incredible situation that City are the best Route one team in the Premier League. I mean, they scored that goal against Arsenal in the League Cup final with Bravo, didn't they? Yeah. Pretty much the same goal. It's 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 amazing how it's so cyclical. But also last season, I remember when City played Liverpool, they were taking a goal kick. And as you were saying, um, there, was, there wasn't actually anyone in the middle of the park. I think everyone was pushed up towards the penalty box and there was like three guys up front. Uh, and there was nothing in the middle of the pitch. But one thing I think also to say with Sarri at Napoli, which I think he might struggle to replicate at Chelsea, he had Pepperain and Go, and he, whose distribution is still absolutely fantastic. And I'm not sure that, for example, Kepa can 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 give him as much. And, and also, I don't think Italian sides press as intelligently as English sides. I think that's a difference we've seen so far with, um, you know, to a certain extent as well with Arsenal in that first game, although Arsenal played out very well against Chelsea, which we'll talk about. In a minute, I hope. Oh, yeah, no, we absolutely will. We should, I suppose, mention the Man City dock all or nothing, which everyone's a buzzing about. And Mourinho mm. felt moved to comment on, despite not having seen it. Have you seen it, Carl? I've seen episode seven, which is the episode... Why did you start there? That's the episode uh, from April 7th this year, the derby. Oh, I see. The 3-2 Man United-Man City game. So that's the one with the pointed Mourinho comments recently. So... The start of it, it there's some a few jibes about the fact we can win the Premier League in right. the derby. Boys, G up, G up, G up. Uh-huh. Uh, la, 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 la. Um, and this is why Mourinho's gone, oh, I see they're, they're talking about me in this episode. I should get royalties. And then maybe don't give me royalties. I see you're going to print out a T-shirt saying we did it on the derby. I won't get the royalties if you just give me the T-shirt. Which is a really good response yeah. from a manager. And then you go off and lose in a pathetic manner to Brighton. So... They have. It's a very impressive. Is the show good though? It's a very impressive, slickly made All documentary. Right. It doesn't. It's the. Be, it's better than being Liverpool, if you remember that one uh-huh. um, from Brendan Rodgers' yeah. first yeah. season at Liverpool, I believe. The envelope. The envelope yeah. story. Yeah. So it, very it's low bar. <laughs> it's more slickly made than that. You you do get some insight into the 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 tactical innovations and uh, tweaks Guardiola makes. So um, talking about how City are better yes it is basically because Mendy's here now like City were fantastic and historically good last season little asterisks Benjamin Mendy was injured with an ACL injury Mm. Benjamin Mendy is getting something like 12 crosses in a game which he did against Huddersfield that's your option when Mm -hmm. a team's playing a low block if a team's playing a low block just give it to Mendy he can just hit wherever he wants and you've got Aguero you've got Gabriel Jesus two of the smartest number nines right now right Sasha wants to jump in. And this this is exactly the difference. He was um, he, he said he has not the last season after the Arsenal game. Mm. He went did it did it and Mendy. Yeah. Yeah. Mendy and Mendy had to assist in the Arsenal yeah. game. So now right. now you can he can get done by Aguero or Jesus. If that doesn't happen, then David Silva or Kevin De Bruyne will get you. If that doesn't happen, Bernardo Silva will get you. Kevin De Bruyne? 
you know, whose injury in the middle of last week, some people thought, oh, well, yeah, could this maybe, for example, and so on, but no. No. Not against Huddersfield, <laughs> at least. We'll find out in the next game, which I think is against Wolves. That'd be an interesting one. Ha. Huh. Uh, Michael, I know you're keen. Oh, no. No, can, we just, can I just say one more thing? Go on, then. It's just funny that you say to Sasha, yes. a city better, and he says, well... It's Guardiola's third season. And with Manchester United, we say, are they worse? Well, it's Mourinho's third season. <laughs> yeah, it sums up the true. difference. There's a very interesting anecdote from, well, Bella Goodman and Larry Bird both maintained that a coach in his third season, that's it. Past oh, the third season. Carlo Ancelotti, I think, has a yeah. similar... Because uh... once you get past the third season, yeah. the players tune out. So they stop playing to be good and yeah. start playing to be good enough based on what the coach likes, which therefore removes a rung from their potential. And, and, and what do they say about managers who've been there for 20 years? Wenger out. There you go. Let's move on to Chelsea Arsenal. Sash, you were there. Yeah. At Stamford Bridge. 3-2, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Sarri enjoyed 75 minutes of it, and the other 15 minutes he didn't enjoy. But for are you a neutral? When Do you have any skin in this game or not? No, not at all. Um, okay. I, th- I think I was just curious to see how two new managers would do against each other. But I um, think... What conclusions did you draw? Well, and just a slight caveat to the 75-15 uh, from Sarri. He actually then went on to say that he particularly enjoyed the first 25 okay. uh, when Chelsea absolutely strangled Arsenal. And what I found really interesting is, um, and sort of comparing also to his Napoli, I understand that his Napoli did a lot of pressing and attacking via the left-hand side. And this is exactly what they did against uh, Arsenal. And particularly, I thought they picked on Gedrich Mkhitaryan because... Arsenal started. Okay, now, sorry. I know who you're talking about, <laughs> but I'm not going to pronounce that way. Is that how you should yeah, say it? Mkhitaryan. I mean, everyone should, I could carry on saying Mkhitaryan because people no, understand no, it. Mkhitaryan. Okay. Oh, and what's yeah. the name of that country again? <laughs> Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> any, right. any other things you'd like me to say? Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan, yeah. It's Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan. Okay. Okay. Uh, so Mkhitaryan, uh, in the first half an hour, did absolutely nothing right at all. Uh, he lost the ball every time. He didn't uh, cover Bellerin at all. And it was an interesting um, moment, early doors, I think about sixth or seventh minute. He picked up the ball, suddenly ran into three Chelsea players, stopped, and I think William nipped him behind him, nicked it, and went off. And the former Spurs and Arsenal legend in front of me was very critical of what, what Mkhitaryan did then, as in just stopping and going, what? But, and Arsenal. I can only um, think of one. Yeah, him. Him. <laughs> um, it was, uh, he needs no introduction, Carl, <laughs> or CV. So he, uh, so he was very upset with Mkhitaryan, but I think, I think um, the Armenian was really caught out with this pressing. And then after that, every time he got the ball, those two or three people on top of him. And also the way Chelsea opened Arsenal up for the first goal was absolutely beautiful because I think William gets the ball, Bellerin goes towards him, pass back to Jorginho and behind into that space, which Mkhitaryan tries to cover, but there is no way he's catching Alonso, slides it across to Pedro, done. And this this press, I think, worked so fantastically well. But yet, at the same time, the second goal was uh, very much a throwback to last season because it was Aspilicueta to Morata, just a simple ball over the top. Right. And then I was thinking, how on earth does he get into all that space? And then you look at the replay. They're all on the halfway line. It's complete madness. Yeah. Um, Arsenal's high line. Michael, did you enjoy this game? Or did you, were you just kind of sputtering at the TV screen? No, it was good. I thought it was a game that was very much... What it was, two sides adjusting to new systems. There was just space everywhere. There was just space in positions you don't usually see space. I thought that first goal was really interesting because it was one of those where Pedro was lurking in offside position. And it's actually quite difficult to defend against that. I appreciate the concerns in the uh, with Mkhitaryan, or however you pronounce it, and I completely agree with you. But it is quite difficult when a player is in that position. You can get a diagonal ball and a square ball across the face of the goal. It's quite tough to defend against. I think the problem with Mkhitaryan is that I'm not 
sure you would ever really choose to have him and Ozil in the same team. I think you need quite a specific system. And when you think about how they came to be in the same team, in a way, Arsenal didn't really choose for that to happen. They basically had to take Mkhitaryan because it was either get him or lose Sanchez in the summer. But that was when they thought Ozil was probably going to be off because it was the end of his contract. Then Ozil renewed his contract. So you've ended up with two, I'd say, relatively similar players who I think at home against a bottom half team, fantastic. But it basically means you've got one of them in a wide position having to track back. And last week it was Ozil, who had a real job against Mendy, mm. tracking back. So in big games, I'm not sure how they're going to fit into the same it's team. Effectively, I think you end up sort of carrying one of them because I think after 15 minutes, then Emery was trying to readjust his formation to basically cover him. I think Jacker went into cover. I think Torreira sort of did it a bit more in the second half. So you're effectively readjusting to cover this one player who's letting down your whole system, who then scores and provides an assist. <laughs> we, were, we were wondering what Latin for uh, more of the same for you know, Arsenal's club badge is uh, pluris uis them, says Mike Goss. Thanks for that. Uh, th- there was a lot of familiar sights, especially in terms of their defending, Carl, the, the Gunners. But there were positives too. I mean, the way they came back to make it 2-2. Oh, yeah. Something that's really struck me is uh, the fitness levels uh-huh. of this Emery Arsenal side. So if you saw the preseason photographs, Petacek looks like he's eaten old Petacek and has <laughs> increased <laughs> some in, in muscle mass, as has Aaron Ramsey. Uh, I know they have recently brought in some of the fitness coaches from Aussie Rules football side Port Adelaide Power. Really? Yep. I wonder um, what made them. Why did they choose uh, Aussie Rules? Uh, some best condition men in top sport in general. Like if you want a top condition run Aussie rules. action, Aussie Rules, then I think it's rugby league, and then you can get into MMA so and whatnot. Aussie Rules would make them stronger than rugby league. I'm not going to argue with an Australian man about that. <laughs> and I'm not going to argue Arsenal with a Northerner think so. about that. Um, so just. The fight back is something that you don't normally that you didn't see in late stage Wenger years because they just seem kind of knackered. Whereas yeah. now they just look fitter and and more able to apply effort. Uh, the press will get there. Uh, I, I'm still very confused as to why they're trying to play a high line when your centre backs are Socrates and Mustafi. Yeah, and why you're trying to do, they they're doing this sort of weird bad Yogi Low German thing where the centre backs are quite wide from each other and your full backs are pressed forward. But like we saw against Germany, Mexico, that can lead you're very, very susceptible to counter because once you get past the midfield, mm. which is not being particularly well aided by Granit Xhaka. This is more in Ian Holloway Blackpool version. I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean Uno Emery's been around the block a few times. What is he trying to do, Michael? Well he's trying to do what they did with one of their goals where they played it forward from the back and passed through the entire team. I think 10 of the 11 players got a touch apart from Aubameyang and they put it in the goal. I mean, um, yeah, the, the defending when the ball's been high up the pitch has been pretty bad. I actually don't agree with the fitness point. I mean, I'm sure he has done a lot of fitness work, but it was notable in this game that Arsenal completely died after half time. I mean, to use your favourite uh, expected goals measure, James, yeah. they scored 2.1 expected goals before half time and mm. 0.1 afterwards. They just didn't have a chance. And I thought that was, um, like we say, quite familiar to Arsenal. And it's funny how Marcus Alonso seems to score against Arsenal every time because I always think there's been a few battles between him and Bellerin over the years. And I always think that just really sums up the difference between Chelsea and Arsenal over the years. Bellerin's so much better technically um, than Alonso. But Alonso is determined. He's strong. He keeps on causing Arsenal problems with, with, uh, you know, 
late goals, headed goals. Mm. This one was a close range finish. Um, but I do think there were some positives for Arsenal. I mean, they created so many first half chances, particularly with cutbacks. I think the three, four best chances were pretty similar balls into the box. But I think this is the, there were cutbacks into the, exactly the area where Kante is supposed to be under right, the old now, system. Okay. And the fact that he's now playing further yeah, up. Yeah, just a massive hole in front of defence. Do you think Sarri's going to take a view on that in a game or two's time? Well, I mean, it's 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 very odd watching Kante now because there's Kante trying to you know finish crosses, trying to head them in from yeah. like six yards out, and uh, I'm still sort of adjusting to that. But I think whenever they get hit on the counter, and this is something I think that was levelled at Sarri before, vulnerable to counter attack. This is where Kante is too high up the pitch, so they were kept on cutting the ball back into roughly the similarish area where these unmarked players kept arriving and you know mostly hoofing them over, but they did manage a couple of goals. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Arsenal had what five really, really good chances in the first half, despite all the Chelsea pressure, um, and then of course. When they go to the two, I think it will be missed after that. From Sari's point of view, I mean, he says, well, we must press high up the pitch. If that fails, we're in trouble. Well, yeah, and you do need to do something about it because I think this is not a fail-safe system. Right. Go on, Sasha. Uh, Just before we take a break. A bit of love for Matteo Kovacic, who, okay. who came on. Uh, pass completion, 100%, 43 100%. out of 43. And Hattel just looks very, very tidy and linking it all up. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Listeners to all the way to the end of a previous podcast will recall that the odds on Arsenal being bottom of the table come the end of August were, I think, was it 4-1, to one, Sasha? 4-1, I thought Something like that. It, it, was, it was surprising. Uh, the, next up, as I mentioned, they're up against the Hammers, who lost at home to Bournemouth again. Uh, an Arnie penalty and then two goals in six minutes around the hour mark from the Cherries uh, sparking a general exodus at the at the London Stadium first off are Bournemouth going to be okay they're off to a cracking start of the season Carl you're nodding sagely yeah yeah Bournemouth will, will always good. be good They'll, they're good in that weird 12 team mini league that is at the bottom of the Premier League mm. um, alright two wins out of two Callum Wilson fit again and scoring I'm um, really impressed by how Eddie Howe very much well basically I don't particularly think Eddie Howe's very astute in the transfer market and I think he realised that a couple of seasons ago and just goes alright I'll just use what I have well no he also he's got uh, Richard Hughes our, our pal Richard Hughes who's uh, one of the and they, they brought in David Brooks who a lot of people are quite excited about from Sheffield United yeah I was unaware of him but he was lively here he was very keen to shoot from long range um, not particularly accurately it must be said but uh, yeah he looked very good I thought Callum Wilson was excellent I mean just his all round game his movement his touch his link up play He's um he's been inconsistently good over the last two or three years, Wilson. But um, he well, got injured for ages. Didn't yeah, he? he had that really bad injury. But it feels ACL, like he can. Was it, uh, was it ACL twice. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And any player that comes back from ACL is amazing. Legend. Yeah, pretty much. But it feels like he could be the kind of player to have a really, really good season. I mean, Bournemouth do have a lot of the ball. They do create chances, and with his movement like that. I think he's uh, yeah, he's just really good forward to watch. I think. And I think they've got a fair few players who are kind of waiting in the wings to of the new arrivals to come in and, and potentially have an impact. But off to a cracking start. West Ham spent a lot of money and did bring in loads of players. What what are they still missing? Time bottle. It, it's really hard to gel. It isn't FIFA or football manager. You can't have five or six new starters right in a truncated summer and then expect it all to work all at once especially with the new manager but is that a lot of people are saying that they need a defensive midfielder would that be fair yes um, I think Daniel Storey once said this when Fulham got relegated words to the effect of their squad was too weird okay that essentially to exist in the Premier League you need some form of coherent parts right. and sometimes is it particularly get... weird then this West Ham squad it's very odd isn't it 
it? You've got this supposed British base of Noble and Jack Wilshire surrounded by. It feels a bit like when you're making like jambalaya, and then right at the end you take like a massive bit of soy sauce and dunk it in, and now you're going, "Why uh, does this taste of soy sauce?" That's right. how I feel when I watch. Yes, I'm like, "What is that?" Okay, what's that weird flavour? Okay, well, how should you make jambalaya briefly? Uh, chicken breast, chorizo. Okay, uh, good, good rice, tomato, Lego orange. Okay, and, and, uh, what's the spice you would put in? Cayenne pepper. Okay, because this is a Cajun. This is a kind of Cajun mm. classic, isn't it? Jambalaya. Right. So, so Mark Noble is soy sauce? I don't know. I'm not sure if Felipe Anderson might Felipe be the dash. Anderson, you think? Is Felipe Anderson soy sauce? He might be. Uh, the thing is, uh, what the image I have from the West Ham game is Callum Wilson running through everyone and uh, Mark Noble just gently jogging after him. <laughs> <laughs> just on the condiment front, though, if you were going to add a random condiment at the end, it's got to be Tabasco, surely. Oh, yes. Or? Sriracha sauce. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that'll do. I mean, they've got Carlos Sanchez, who, who came on, I think, for Noble. Yeah, and I expect we'll start pretty soon. And he would represent the defensive midfielder, would he? He would. I thought you were going to ask me about condiment then, but he's definitely <laughs> oh, a defensive midfielder. Um, what condiment would he be? How does a Parliament sauce? Do you think? Uh, yeah, if you like, Brand- if you like, it's the wrong area of London, but uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't think Noble and Wilsh is going to work together. I think they're both always out of position, and I think Carlos Sanchez, who hasn't had a good experience in the Premier League previously has always looked pretty solid when I've seen him elsewhere uh-huh. and will sit in front of the defence and I think Pellegrini likes that kind of player okay so don't worry too much I, I would be a little about... bit worried but I'd, I'd be less worried once they bring a defensive midfielder in okay West Ham's former manager David Moyes by the way do you know which job he's been linked with USA 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 yeah, that's a that's surprising isn't it well who's well they just failed to qualify for the World Cup uh-huh. I suppose they may be looking to do something drastic by bringing I'd have got someone in from Aussie yeah. Rules or something that, like that. That yeah. would be bad. That would be bad. Also, in London football news, Spurs had a derby with Fulham and it went very well for them because they won 3-1 and Harry Kane, 1,065 minutes and five seasons of Premier League football, scored a goal in August. But, more importantly, Mora scored a belter and Trippier scored the, the goal of the weekend, Michael, as you were. He wouldn't get in my top five, but well done to him for scoring. And I like the Lucas Mora goal because I, because he's quite right-footed, Lucas Mora. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of goal you can score with your left foot. You know, he didn't ever look to get any power with that. He just connected nicely. Um, but I thought Spurs were impressive in this game. And, I mean, Kane, I know he scored. He hasn't looked that sharp so far. But I thought what Tottenham did really well was they got midfield runners forward to support him. Mm. So Ericsson was arriving late. Deli Alley always does that. Lucas Moura, who's naturally a proper kind of old school outside right, was also in slightly more central positions. So it took them a while to get the breakthrough, but it was all Tottenham, really, for long periods. OK, were Fulham any better? Still look like they don't quite do it at the Premier League pace. They, the mistakes they were making, I think you can get away with them in the Championship where pe- people think slightly slower. Yeah. But in the Premier League, they were just seized upon uh, by Spurs. Having said that, I think uh, for me, Mitrovic scored the best goal of the game. Very much playground <laughs> stuff. I loved it. Ball comes across, he was stretching for it, ended up on the floor. Xessignon dinked it back in and on his knees, he headed it in from about two yards. Oh, nice one. Do you know that that is his 13th league goal since... Day being for Fulham in February. That's very impressive. Right, anyway. Okay, no Son Hyung Min, because he's off with the Asian Games, South Korea, of course. They're not we- doing very well, are they? Well, they won their first game since you asked, Sasha, 
uh, 6-0 against Bahrain, but then they lost 2-1 to Malaysia on Saturday, meaning they're second. They need to beat Kyrgyzstan in their final group match on <laughs> oh, Monday. No way. And hope that the other game, Malaysia against Bahrain, goes their way. Ooh, that's exciting. That is exciting. And, uh, as you're undoubtedly aware, if... He and his South Korea teammates come back with the gold medal. He gets exempted from military service, which is no laughing matter in South Korea. It's a full 21 months. Full yeah. 21 months of, 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 you know... Looking over the border. Century duty. Yeah, yeah. century duty. He's, he's from anyway, s- well, I'm so excited that we mentioned Kyrgyzstan because that makes what's coming up next, listener, relevant. <laughs> Stay tuned <laughs> as, we bring you, as we bring you Kyrgyzstan football. All right, listen, if you'd like to come and see us, we're going to be in Manchester on the 5th of October at the Royal Northern College of Music. Oh, Rory Smith's going to be there, Daniel Story as well, probably somebody else. You can find tickets at ctickets.com and all the details and stuff there. If you can't wait that long and you're in the London area, well, here's happy news. The Queen Elizabeth Hall on Monday, the 24th of September, just about a month away, will be our venue, will be the venue as we bring you another totally live, and Michael, and uh, you'll be joining myself and one or two other people for that. I am. Southbankcentre.co.uk for all your ticket needs. Right. Why world of European football, particularly wide this week? In Europe, uh, obviously League 1, week two of their championnat, which saw Paris Saint-Germain victorious against three-way over Gangon. We're killing Mbappé with a brace on his return to uh, PSG. Sasha. Gigi Buffon with a great save. Gigi Buffon with two great saves, I would I would suggest. But 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 equally, lovely scenes at the end of the game when Gigi swapped shirts with Turam. Hang on. That sounds familiar. Yeah, uh, this is uh, Li- uh, Marcus Turam, uh, who's a forward, actually. Lillian's a 21-year-old son. And people pointing out that, OK, this was August the 18th, 2018. You had Marcus Turam... Timothy Ware and Gigi Buffon on the pitch for the first time. Almost exactly 19 years ago, August 21st, 1999, it was George Ware, Lillian Turam and Gigi Buffon in his debut performance. It's kind of like the same story we did last week, but now but with another, you know... <laughs> and Palmer back in Serie A. And Palmer, yeah, where they had, they, we'll, we'll talk about... Well, let's talk about Serie A then, because mm-hmm. they had a 2-2 draw, 2-0 the most dangerous scoreline, as you know. They were 2-0 up against Udinese, Udinese came back. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss the events in uh, El Campionato on Wednesday in Golazzo, but the big so one of the biggest stories in Europe on Saturday was the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo was debuting for Juventus, their match away to, to Chievo at the Bentegodi. Juve went 2-0 down, actually, ha! and came back and, and won 3-2. Chris himself didn't score. He did hitch up his shorts. He had a goal disallowed, and he broke uh, the Chievo goalkeeper's nose, but they're all pals now. He sent him a text... And uh, Sorrentino said, oh, you're a legend. Isn't he a neck brace? Yeah, he did have a neck brace. He really got clattered. Really got clattered. It's part of the Bernadeschi goal that that won it at the end. Um, So they won. Napoli, who we were guilty of being a little bit negative about in last week's Colazzo, early days, but they had a big game. They went to Lazio on Saturday and won 2-1. 
Carl Ancelotti with a little bit of a tactical tweak. I don't know if you saw that, Michael. No. He moved Hamsik uh, to the Jorginho role, Ooh. which a lot of people are going, hey, what? But, of course, Ancelotti is the man who made Pirlo. Pirlo. Pirlo used to be a kind of Baggio-esque yeah. figure, a nine-and-a-half, whatever you want to call it, and he dropped him back to that kind of deep-line playmaker thing and, and invented a whole new genre of, um, yeah... Anyway, so that was a great start. Roma just about got past Torino with a fabulous volley from Edin Dzeko. The only big team not to win, indeed, was Inter. Lost at Sassuolo. We'll talk about all that stuff on on Wednesday uh, and other things too. I think we might discuss the extraordinary Luciano Gauci this week as well, if there's time. Uh, Also from the totally um, canon... No, that's not good. Also available from the totally show, you've got Totally Football League with Caroline Barker. Almost certainly Caroline and friends are going to be talking about uh, Bielsa's brilliant start with Leeds. Almost certainly they're going to be talking about why West Brom fans were chanting at QPR, our effing boiler he'd get in your team. (laughs) (laughs) But did did you see that QPR defending in that game? I I think after after about two goals, it was men falling over in slow motion. It was utterly embarrassing. Right. Who's the QPR manager right now? Steve McLaren. Oh, it's Steve, Steve McLaren. Steve, yeah. Oh. Right. Okay. Well, all that kind of thing. And League One, League Two news. That's coming up in Totally Football League. Caroline Barker hosting that on Tuesday. Andrew Slaven uh, will bring you Monday night, Tuesday morning, the Totally Scottish Football Show. Scottish Cup this weekend, Michael. And Rangers uh, playing FC UFA of Russia on Thursday in the, in the Europa League. Oh. That is a team from Bashkortostan. For some uh, more long from names where? for you, Bashkortostan. It's about, I think they're about 300 miles east of Samara before the Urals. Okay. And uh, Bashkiri is where it's, um, uh, it's sort of like ethnic minority, if you like, in Russia. Uh-huh. And they have on their own little republic. Um, it's quite rich in oil, so it's quite a well to do place. Um, and they're probably more into ice hockey there. Their team has won the ice hockey championship. And FC UFA were only founded in 2009. And the famous former residents include Emmanuel Frimpong, who okay. was uh, just a one-man comedy show for two years when he was out there, leaving the locals utterly bemused and just they just couldn't believe what they were dealing with, basically. There was a dench on his back. Uh, yeah, the, 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 I think the dench came on maybe after he moved. Or was he still too far? Because then he went to Arsenal Tula for a bit. But yeah, it was... It, but basically, they... Uh, the locals didn't quite know what to make of it, but it's a very young club. Kanchelskis managed there, Kolevanov managed there. FC uh, Ufa. FC Ufa, yeah. And Viktor Goncharenko, the current manager of CSK, did half a year there. And finally, Sergei Semak, who's the new manager of Zenit, also did a, se- a season and a half there, took them to sixth place last season. But they're, they're quite unremarkable, to be honest. It's the first time they've been in Europe. They caught past Domjali and they nearly lost to a team from Luxembourg in the previous round. A team called Progress Niederkorn, whom Rangers fans might recall from last season as they lost to them. Uh, okay, in the Europa League. You spit that knowledge <laughs> at your neighbour when you're watching Rangers Ufa and, 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 you know, reap big respect. But the locals are so excited that Gerard's going to visit. Not Rangers. Everyone's talking about Gerard coming too far and they just can't believe this is happening. Coming, yeah, going too far. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. It is a long way. <laughs> nice. That's a great Kinchowskis link, ex-Rangers player as well. Yeah, oh, exactly. Uh, and he didn't do particularly well there. And Kinchowskis actually stood out in the summer by his particularly vociferous criticism of Stanislav Cherchesov. Initially, he was in tune with everyone, and then he just carried on whilst everyone kind of went, OK, Cherchesov <laughs> did all right. <laughs> so he's been a bit of a figure of fun in Russia. Oh. Um, you mentioned, what was the name of the Republic again? Bashkortostan. Is that near Kyrgyzstan? Nowhere near. OK. So Kyrgyzstan is one of the five, uh, Is that are they Asian? A five former Central Asian Soviet republics. Okay. And the reason we're talking about this, not just because of the Asian yeah, Asian games, Asian games yeah. is because one of their number has, has starred, was a hero 
in the DFB-Pokal, better known as the German Cup, right. who kicked off this weekend in the first round. 64 teams go in. Teams from the lower leagues host the bigger teams. Mm-hmm. And already there's been a few shocks, none bigger than SSV Ulm 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 1. So the holders have gone out in Frankfurt, the first round. Frankfurt to you and I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Frankfurt to you and I. Uh, gonna, the holders go out in the first round of the German Cup for the right. first time since 1996 when Kaiser and lost. Amazing game of football. I mean, check, check, check it out. It's action packed. You know, what's Ulm, amazing about it? Ulm hit the bar in the first minute. Uh-huh. Uh, great attacking football both ways. Antracht hit the post twice. Two offside goals disallowed. Ulm scramble one in, defending for the live 75th minute. Long ball over the top. Vitali Lux is running, running, running. Hits him on the shoulder. He's not even looking at the ball. And actually falls nicely for him. He runs through to score the second. Vitaly Lux, he is a Kyrgyzstan international. I'm not sure why he's not at the games. He's got five international goals in 20 matches. And he is one of those Germans. A lot of Germans during the war got deported to Central Asia because of the war. And how, a lot, how do you mean they got deported? Like, like, the, when... like, like literally lifted up and deported into Central Asia because the Germans were coming and they were suspected of potential collaborationism uh, with the coming Germans. So the families got deported into Central Asia. Okay, by who? By, with that by the Soviet authorities. Soviet, Soviet right, authorities. Okay. Uh, I mean, there was a, basically there was a German Republic on the Volga and they all got lifted in August or September 1941, putting the trains out to go in, in, into the east. Okay. So, so a lot of these um, ethnic Germans were allowed to go to Germany uh, after the unification of Germany. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I understand, he was one of those families. So he was born in Bashkortostan in, I think it's 89. At the age of six, he moved to Ulm, bounced around lower divisions. And this is the greatest goal of his career. Um, and in the end, Ulm hung on, despite a late Frankfurt goal. And it was lovely scenes. Uh, there was a defender... Uh, Luigi Campagna, his opa, his granddad was crying in the crowd. There's absolutely touching scenes. 18,500 people in the stadium. Oh, it was beautiful. Ulm themselves have never really achieved much. Played in the Bundesliga for a season. So for them, I think this is a celebration for a very, very long time. And also, second defeat in the, on, in a row for the new Eintracht Frankfurt manager, mm-hmm. Adolf Hütter. You heard the try, James? Hütter. Uh, the guy who won three titles, uh, who just won the title with young boys uh, in Switzerland after three seasons there. So a difficult start for him. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Leicester beat Wolves 2-0, whispering Claude with the win that he needed to keep his job or one of the wins he needed. Uh, He said we were lucky, but they, they look good, didn't they? James Madison particularly, again looking like a player. Did you, did you catch much of this? Yeah, he's a really good player, Madison. I mean, I don't watch much championship football, but those people I know who did were just raving about him. And I wouldn't be surprised if he actually got an England call-up quite soon. I mean, okay. Southgate's been so keen to call up youngsters early. And if he continues playing like this, I know it's only two games in, but he just seems to run the game. Leicester picked up uh, Madison from Norwich, anonymous true fan, uh, saying players like Madison of, of Leicester, and we mentioned David Brooks before at Bournemouth, had good starts. Why aren't other Premier League teams giving chances to younger players from the lower divisions? I do not see the quality of players from the Eredivisie surpassing the championship. Again, read nearly everything Daniel Story does. Um, I think he took some quotes out after England won the under-17 World Cup. Uh, basically just took quotes from every single manager that had a player at the under-17s. Right. And it was very interesting seeing the difference between, say, Pep Guardiola going, I'm going to give Phil Foden minutes, and Roy Hodgson, who was basically going, I'm in the middle of a relegation battle. I don't have time to blood the youngster. Right. And I think, I think time is the big one. I think, yes, there is a tendency in the Premier League to buy 
players from the fashionable leagues and mm. with the fashionable pass- passports other than the one, you know very good players in the football league but you just got to go with your gut and go with what you know and I think quite right. a few of these managers know sometimes you don't think you can afford the gamble yes okay and not a good weekend for Wolves right back uh, Matt Doherty oh. he had, we, first of all he missed a very easy chance at 0-0 and then he scored that quite unfortunate own goal that cannoned off his head and went into the top corner. And then he was on the end of a terrible tackle from Jamie Vardy, which I thought was quite rightly a red card. Right. Uh, Kennedy arguably had a worse weekend, would you say? That's bad. Carl, you yeah. watched this game because you had the worst, worst weekend of all then, probably. Is it, was it quite fun, actually, the 0-0 Cardiff-Newcastle? No, it was... It, it might have been the worst televised game of Premier League football I've seen. Really? So Kennedy missed a stoppage time penalty which would have earned... Three massive points for Newcastle. He's going to probably get a ban retrospectively for kicking out uh, Camaraza. And also, now you were eulogising Kovacic for his 100% passing stats. Kennedy's weren't quite as good, were they, Carl? Zero. Zero. Zero percent how, passing how, accuracy how in the first half. How many did he half. attempt? Too many. Really? Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was bizarre. Uh, so Cardiff are playing very a very unique style of football in the Premier League. They're... they're they're going to play very direct very long ball mm-hmm. bypass centre midfield which would be effective if they had strikers that are good enough at this level they're not particularly um, so they're quite blunt in attack Newcastle are depending on you, who you talk to hamstrung by Mike Ashley Byinghouse of Fraser playing within themselves because Rafa Benitez got these players to play far above their talent last season or just at the end of their tether mm. um, so it was a very very bizarre game to watch it, it was it was the, the two bold men fighting over a comb oh, and Kennedy I've never seen a football player have a, as bad a 90 minutes as Kennedy really that's like, the worst one you've ever seen it was awful no passes should have been sent off because last year he was one of the success stories at oh yeah absolutely off. and it just it seemed as if he was uh, to use the poker analogy he was playing on tilt basically he has the first half and it's not working so rather than the one of the old stories is when um, Stephen Gerrard first started playing for Liverpool. If right. he's like first big long pass didn't work, Jamie uh-huh. Carragher went, just make sure your next pass, five yards, really short, build right. your confidence back up. Kennedy was the complete opposite. He got more and more outlandish right. and ambitious with his play and it just wasn't working. So prior to the penalty, he's take, he took a, a free kick from the edge of the box when John Joe Selby's there and I'm going, what? no, what? stop it. Stop giving him the ball. Right. Um, I'm New surprised Ken- Shelby himself didn't, you know. Yeah, I was very surprised Shelby deputised to Kennedy on the set yeah. pieces there. What was the tilt analogy? Sorry, I think I... I... Uh, playing on tilt, the poker analogy. Basically, you get um, ah, right, emotionally okay. charged and you yeah. start playing more aggressive. All right, because I was thinking pimple. I was very confused. But yes, with you now. Yeah. The, um, the penalty was also statistically the worst place you can put a penalty. Where is the worst place you can put a penalty? It depends oh, whether you're like left footed or right footed, but a third of the way up the goal, slightly across your body, if that makes sense. So slightly across the body. So he, he's left footed, so he went to his right slightly. Slightly to the yeah. keeper's so that's left. That's about 52, 53% chance of it going in. Okay, well, where's, the the worst. where's the best place? Would it be top corner? Top, top corner, but if you look at the stats, it's quite interesting. Pretty much anywhere in the top half of the goal is 99% goes in. David Priest, friend of the podcast, says, if you want to score a penalty against me, aim for my face when I'm standing right in the middle of the goal. Sasha? Well, I used to just... <laughs> I think David Priest wants I think people that. to miss. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, aim for my face because I'm going to move left or right. And it's right. very hard yeah, to... Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, like, I mean, the, the pool level I play at, I actually decided that the best strategy is just to react. 
uh, because the penalty. You wait are, and then you. Know, you yeah, I used to go to my left a lot. Uh -huh. Just thinking, again, statistically, right footers quite often like to put it there. And then I failed to save a penalty for God knows how long. So now I just react. And I think what um, Michael is saying there, you can actually pretty much react to that penalty and save it because it's not far enough in the corner. Right. Burnley lost at home to Watford. Watford are looking good. They're, yeah. There's, there's continuity. There's a system. There's personnel that have been there for more than one season. Right. OK. So, you know, rather than bringing in etc. But you said what's not continuity is the fact that previously they could not get a point or even score a goal away from home but they go up to Turf Moor which is not meant to be an easy place to do they, they win 3-1 is that Europa League hangover? Possibly and also possibly you know the the whatever dark magic Sean Dyke does to get his defence to play that way yeah. might have been figured out do you think? so they, they play a very very interesting defensive model where essentially defenders don't so much mark attackers from crosses but so much mark areas on the goal line to but block zonal marking yes so they're right. very high they they achieve a very very high amount of blocks on shots uh -huh. last season had a very very good season um, from their goalkeeper as well and it just doesn't seem to be working right. as well you mentioned the enough? goalkeeper yeah, there I think the Europa League thing's the key I mean people talk about Europa League hangovers or European hangovers in terms of matches but I think the lack of training time you know before they would have had eight days or seven days to prepare for that game. Now mm -hmm. it's probably been one on the training pitch once they'd got back. Right. Um, but the goals here were remarkable. I mean, three really good goals from Watford, completely different goals. He had an acrobatic finish, a lovely outside of the foot uh, goal from Dini, which reminded me a little mm. bit of the Falcao one in the World Cup, if you remember that, and a great pass from Ducore to him for that goal. Yeah. And then a, a long ranger from Will Hughes after a pretty bad giveaway from Matt Loughton. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. And of course, Daesh was whining about... Hughes should have been sent off. And I think he's got a case, actually. There were some bad tackles in the Premier League this weekend. I mean, if you look at the World Cup, the interesting thing, there wasn't a single red card for a bad tackle. There was a couple of last man fouls. But no, there was barely a bad tackle in the whole tournament. And then you come back to the Premier League and you see some... Like that Jamie Vardy one. It's that just unnecessary. Violent. It's just completely unnecessary, isn't it? That's It still persists, I think, in English football more than other leagues. You do just get these really wretched tackles. Mm. OK, what do you think about Everton and Saints? What's going to happen to them? Everton, 2-1 winners at Goodison. Stuart Benjamin asked, what are the odds on Richarlison being top scorer? Banter. But but I think, actually, producer Ben's going to ask that question a bit later on, uh, Stuart, if you're <laughs> interested. So uh, hang about. I mean, he's officially a bargain now, as we always said, etc. He was always going to come good. I think. Was the, he? No, he wasn't. The, I mean, big, the big thing about Richarlison that a lot of people laughed about when the deal went through and I think a lot of people forgot was he was knackered he was 20 he was twenty years of age yes. he played half of the season in Brazil uh -huh. comes over to the Premier League yeah. is playing very well in the first half of Watford then January starts he also played the under 20 World Cup the boy was tired uh, Gomez his Brazilian compatriot who uh -huh. basically looked after him when he first came to Watford is dropped from the side so he no longer looks around the pitch and has a guy who just goes don't worry, it'll be fine. Yeah, he, he was he was going to be fine. He his poten his potential ceiling is very very high. He's Evan. He's with Marco Silva, the guy who brought him over to England. Mm. He's been well rested. He's going to have a lot of fun because he's also playing in this weird sort of free inside forward role for Everton. And, and Everton they love a guy who tries and scores a goal every now and again. So I think, who doesn't, Carl? Yeah, yeah. I, I... Manchester, well, Mourinho really. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oily Sailor. Pointing out that under Silva, two games, 12 shots on target from Everton. 
uh, Allardyce 21 in nine games. So, yeah, yeah, although I, the caveat there is a lot of their shots on target came from set pieces, which Allardyce wasn't... Uh, yeah, a very Allardyce thing to do. But they had some nice routines. I mean, the Walcott goal was a really kind of classic play it around the wall thing. They also did a thing before where they had... Uh, uh, Idrissa Gay had an attempt from what I think I can call a Paul Scholes attempt from a corner. Hmm. People know what that means. No, go on, tell me. You know, like, rather than hitting into the box, cut it back to the D, uh-huh. and then he has a volley. The Bradford oh, the volley. goal. Okay. So yes. they, they the clearly, really they've well. clearly been working on set pieces, and it's just a small thing, but the way that they celebrated after the Walcott goal... You know, when a team scores like a set piece routine, it must feel so good. And you just had a kind of sense of unity that you didn't have under Allardyce, which is pretty important. And I think that also reinforces the belief in the manager. We worked on this with him. Mm. Now we are scoring this goal. And I think if you look at the way the atmosphere, I mean, speaking to Everton fans, you know, the way it's lifted. And, you know, he hasn't, you know, he only brought Richarlison in, but the new manager, new approach. And they're playing football. These same players can actually play football, which is fun. Good to watch. Yes, I mean, Walcott missed chances and whatever, but they were actually really good to watch. And I think Everton fans at the moment, for them, you know, within four months, is such a contrast. And uh, I, th- I think they're very much enjoying it. And um, I... <laughs> I also would like to pick up on uh, Pickford. I think um, mm. you know, Mike, Michael, Michael asked me, you know, about him before the game, and yes, I would agree it was a bit of a strange one. Um, we sort of thought about it, and it seems to be sometimes when he makes a mistake early on, maybe he kind of it does affect him somewhat. I mean, he his his initial mistake did lead to that absolutely extraordinary save from Danny Ings when he got picked himself up and managed to somehow save that. Uh, but maybe he's affected a bit by the nerves sometimes. Yeah, I, I I didn't like the his challenge on Ings in, in yeah. quite late in the second half. I know goalkeepers always get away with that, but in that situation, he's an outfield, he becomes an outfield player. You're not allowed to use his hands. If an outfield player had dived in like that and done this weird karate scissor kick and caught an opponent in the back like that, yeah, definitely be a foul. Might be a red card. But goalkeepers, you know, the old Harold Schumacher uh, legacy seems to be surviving. Goalkeepers can do whatever they want in that situation, mm. it seems, which I find really odd. Well, Mark Hughes at least took it sportingly after. Moan, moan, moan. Anyway, right, oh, go on, Sasha. I, I, quite, I quite like the stat about Danny Ings. His last three Premier League goals came for three different managers. But all against Everton? Uh, or not only two, because I think he oh. scored against West Brom uh, okay. for Klopp, uh, which I, I, th- I thought was a nice touch. And I right. actually thought um, Danny Ings... Um, he was involved. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he missed a few, but I thought he was... He was Danny inv- Ings, he was involved. And then, again, another player came back from an ACL injury, so very yeah. much oh, I mean, good for I mean, you. He's, yeah. he's had a really terrible record with injuries at Liverpool. And, I mean, the reason let him go is because he wanted to play more regularly, which is right. understandable. I think he leaves Liverpool... I think he's on loan at the moment, but they'll, they'll yeah. buy him. Uh, like on very good terms, basically. Uh, but yeah, it just didn't work out for him. I imagine that when Ings was, was injured, the doctors always were confident that he would make a full recovery. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, Stuart, Terrible if you want to know the answer corner. to your que- question about um, Richarlison, here's your moment. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line. And Lee, we've talked about Man U and Man City a lot on the show already. So let's talk about a couple of the other things. Uh, Let's start with West Ham. They're not doing very well. Two defeats out of two. Are they going to do a Palace? They've got some horrible games coming up. Could they go seven games without a win here? Yes, when you mentioned this, I thought you were being slightly harsh, Ben. But actually, when you look at the fixture list, God, they're in trouble. Uh, We make it a very short price. Nine to four, that they go seven games without a win. It's a horrible run coming up. It's almost like you can't just spend money in a squad and expect it to play coherently. 
Well, I'll tell you someone who did cost a lot of money and who people were laughing about. Uh, that's Richarlison. But he's doing all right over uh, Everton. Could he be the top scorer this season? Uh, yeah, two games in, he is doing all right. Uh, £50 million bargain, I reckon. We don't think he will be the top scorer. In fact, he's a very long price. So I know you've got some recent form in tipping long prices, but this one, if you do fancy it, is 66 to 1. That puts him behind the likes of Marco Anatovic and Wilfred Saha and the same price as Mitrovic. So we don't fancy it, but at least he hasn't been the laughing stock yet. Let's talk about um, a surer thing then. Uh, Chelsea, they've started very well under Maurizio. So I haven't been the toughest of fixtures. Apologies, Arsenal fans. Um, are they going to finish in the top four this season? Yeah, it's remarkable what difference two games can make. They are now odds-on to finish in the top four. We make them third favourites to do so. Uh, and they've leapfrogged Spurs and Manchester United in that betting. Uh, you mentioned United failing earlier in the show. They're now out to our fifth favourites of the top four. So we're predicting they finish fifth. They're even money now to finish top four. Big trouble there. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Carl, actually, uh, you're going to be back here tomorrow. Oh, Parts Unknown, the wrestling podcast is getting back underway. I will indeed. I will be indeed. Have you done much prep? I have watched over nine hours worth of wrestling this week. Is that weekend. a lot of wrestling? Uh, yes, I've watched WrestleMania 2000 up until WrestleMania 18. Uh, and then I watched SummerSlam and NXT. So is, It must still just be a big blur of, of leotard by now. Leotard, Colour. sweat, pecs, pyro. Right. Uh, wrestling's the one to rot. And the more you understand about wrestling, the more you understand about professional football. And, and about life, I like to say. Very much so. Yeah. Um, okay. Sasha, looking forward to whatever you're going to do next and, and hearing about it. What are you up to this week? Palace Liverpool tonight. Aye, oh, right, are you going yeah, along? Yeah. Of course, brilliant. Prediction, so we can laugh at you afterwards? 2-0 Liverpool. OK, fantastic. Michael, you're back with us soon, I hope, next week? Yes, next week I'm at Arsenal. West Ham on Saturday, so we can talk about that then. Ah, that would be good. And Thursday, of course, totally returns with uh, James Horncastle, David Priest, uh, you know, with his face. And <laughs> Jules, face is very beautiful. Yeah, and Julian Laurent will be with us, and he might be telling us about uh, Thierry Henry's uh, next job. Which oh. mm. anyway, that's all coming up on Thursday. Have a great time in the meanwhile, listener. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.